Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Studies Group Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Step Series. Can we now have Joey the Jokester come up and tell our joke, please? Joey the Joke? Hello, everyone. I'm Joey the Jokester, and I have a joke for you. Just kidding. It's trying to be ironic. It's like, like, oh, the sad, funny guy, you know? Okay. Um, thank you. All right, so you thought that was funny. Get ready for this one. Ayo, uh, a screwdriver rolls into a bar. The bartender says, hey, we have a drink named after you. The screwdriver says, you have a drink named Frank? <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I am a recovered alcoholic. My name is Andrew. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might, will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, to let the craziness of your day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step site tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's begin the meditation.
right now, I would like to lead us in the fog light prayer, which if you don't know it, just repeat after me. <laughs> God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. Uh, this is from There is a Solution on the, the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Lazarus or Ryan to come up and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. Um, we read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Uh, spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he's undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change would, could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. Self With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Please refrain from disrupting others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn it off. Um, now it's my pleasure to introduce the speaker. Um, so, yeah, I was actually talking to this guy's father, um, my sponsee's father, and he was talking about how bad it is in South Florida. And, like, I was thinking to myself, like, how fortunate I am to live in South Florida because... You know, where, where there's really bad drinking problems, there's really great recovery. You know, it just so happens that, like, I was one of the masses that came down here on the airplane. And now I get to hear guys like Pat. You know, he's, he's the guy that, that has the, uh, 
the the good uh, the good stuff, you know. So like, I think we're just really fortunate to have him, and I think he's on his tenth session. So let's ninth session. Sorry, we don't want to shortchange him. So help, please help me welcome Pat. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Pat. <laughs> and thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA has surely given me a new life, a uh, new life worth living. I absolutely enjoy my life. And We were talking, uh, I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. It's been a couple weeks since I've been down here. I got to spend a... My Thanksgiving with my uh, two sons, my two grandchildren, my uh, daughter-in-law up in Jacksonville, and it's just, uh, the gifts just keep on coming, man. You know, we got a new one on the way, I got a new grandson on the way, she's four months pregnant, so it's uh, it's just a, a treat. Uh, and we, were, we were talking before the meeting that uh, I remember a time when they would rather me not show up, <laughs> you know, like let's just not mention that we're getting together in Jacksonville and because they didn't know who was going to show up. They didn't know which, which Pat was going to, was showing up there or actually what condition I would show up in when I got there. And there were times that I showed up and never entered the house. You know what I mean? I was in the car the whole time uh, that the holiday was taking place. So, so we are, yeah, we're on nine and, uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, earlier today, I, in my early recovery, looking at this step and, and thinking there's just, why would I want to do that? You know, why would I want to face these people that I have harmed? Why would I, and, it, and I thought what I was going to do was apologize. Why would I want to apologize to everybody? Because I thought in looking at the, at the shades on the wall, I thought that's what that was, you know, is, uh, is go apologize to everybody, you know, and. And uh, I'm so sorry, you know, again, <laughs> you know, and uh, I thought uh, when I got here, my life was falling apart, you know, and 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 I didn't know what any of that had to do with, with, with my with my life. I did. By the way, I was listening to a song on the way over here, uh, which was so appropriate. And it was talking about uh, my life's not falling apart. It's falling into place. And and uh, and that's what was taking place and I, without me even knowing it, it, it. My life was falling apart on the outside. It, the appearance of my life was it was falling in place, and and God was about to put it into place. And and uh, and it was that process, you know. And and I I really didn't believe that it would work for me. I and I'm going to tell you something. If, if alcohol still worked, I'd still be there. That was that's a fact. If alcohol if alcohol would have still been justifying my behavior, my, my former sponsor Garrett used to always say that alcohol would give me permission to do whatever the hell I wanted, violate mine and your principles, and then it would give me absolution later. You know, and uh, and it stopped giving me absolution. It stopped giving me relief. And uh, and if it still worked, I'd still be doing it. I I fell into AA because I didn't have the guts to kill myself. That was the bottom line. I tried that deal once before, didn't go well, and I didn't have the guts to try it again. And or or I'd either be off this planet, or I'd still be drinking, and that, and that's a fact. And so I came here because I didn't know what else to do. You know, I had a sister that was in the program, and I reached out to her, and she took me to my first meeting, and I just didn't see uh, where this shit <laughs> was going to put my life back together. And uh, and but I stayed anyway. And I think what kept me here was your stories. I think what kept me here was hearing the testimony from the podium of people who had been through what I had been through and were up there happy and recovered. 
And, and some of them didn't have anything. Like, I, I think I share with you guys, my first, first couple of meetings I was at, the guy at this podium said that he had a light beyond his wildest dreams. And I said, this guy don't even know where he is. You know, he's in AA. You know, like nobody in AA has a light beyond it. Nobody wants to be here, you know. And, and, I'm, and I looked a little further. I said, he doesn't even have a girlfriend or a car, you know. I mean, what the hell is he talking about, you know. And, and I know what he was talking about now. And anybody who's been through this process or recovered as a result of this process knows what he was talking about. He was talking about something inside. He was talking about something he can't show you, you know, and can't even prove it to you. It just is. You know, he's not validated by the car or the girl or the house or the, or the money. He's not validated. The watch, you know, all the stuff, the, the, all the stuff that, that, that I thought was important in life. I mean, that's just my whole goal was to, you know, get the right job so I could make the right money, get the right car. Then you'll get the right girl and you'll buy a house and you'll live happily ever after and you'll be happy. You know, and, and, and by the way, I've had almost all of that. And, and drank it away, <laughs> you know, and, and still was just in torment. You know, I was just tormented. Uh, so I, I just couldn't see. I, I don't know if I shared with you guys uh, two weeks ago when I was here or not. I think Brian was reading the doctor's opinion to me. I was about three months sober, a little bit over three months sober when I ran into Brian. And I had been suffering from an untreated alcoholism in the rooms of AA. I had been white knuckling my first three months. I was part of the don't drink and go to Denny's club, you know. And, uh, you know, just don't drink no matter what, you know, something about if your ass falls off, pick it up and take it to a meeting, some shit like that, you know, something like that. You know, they were saying something like that. And Brian was, uh, Brian approached me and, and said, do you want to know, do you want to hear about the program? And I said, yeah, I've been coming for three months. He goes, no, you've been attending the fellowship. There's a program here. And he started reading the doctor's opinion. And I think it was, it was the first or second time we got together. He's reading the doctor's opinion. And I, I interrupted him and said, am I going to have to call the IRS? <laughs> and he said, Pat, we're on step one. You know? And I said, no, really. Because <laughs> you know? I'm reading ahead. You know? and, and he said, let's worry about that when we get there. You know? And he'd read a little bit more and you know, restless, irritable, and discontent. And I'd say, am I going to have to call the credit card companies? You know, because I owe a lot of money in credit card debt. And he says, Pat, we're on step one. You know, let's just deal with that when we get there. And, and, and I didn't realize what he was talking about, that, that we're on different footing when we get here. We're, we're different people when we get here. There's somebody else in charge when we get here. You know, this whole process of coming out of the darkness into the light, right? I mean, we're in the darkness when we get here. I'm in the darkness when I get here. Uh, all I can think about is getting my house back. And getting custody of my son back and getting her to drop the assault and battery charges and getting her to, you know, and getting an attorney for the charges that are, you know, the assault and the battery charges. And, you know, that's all I can think about. I, I can't think about, you know, what you guys are telling me. That, look, if you get right with God, everything else is going to work out. I'm like, no, I need an attorney, you know. <laughs> turn it over. Did you ever hear that? I mean, turn it over. No, I need an attorney, you know. Turn, turn what over? I, you know, I didn't even know what they were talking about, you know. And this whole process that, that, that I went through, only because I took a leap of blind faith hearing you tell your stories, you know, that you did you had something that I wanted? You were able to overcome the same obstacles. You told the same stories about the jails and the institutions and the divorces and the lost custodies. You told those same stories, and you were okay. You were okay. You know, your life wasn't falling apart. It was falling into place. 
you know, and I didn't see it at that time. But out of pure, and I don't, I don't even want to say it was faith. It wasn't faith. It was because I didn't have any proof except for you up there saying what you were saying is that this, this willingness to buy in because I don't have any other option. <laughs> you know, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to buy in. And, and the process of, of coming from the dark to the light, to drive out the darkness with the light, is what took place for me in step four. My, my major spiritual experiences came in four and five. You know, the awakenings came in four. The experience came in five, you know. But as I started to, and that's really what this process is, right, is remove the darkness and, and you know, peel away the onion, right? Let's remove the things that are blocking me from the light, you know, and the things like hate and anger and resentment and fear and anxiety and guilt and remorse and shame. Let me remove those things and let some light shine. Let the light drive out the darkness, and then I'm on a different I'm on a different plane. And, and I I think I share with you guys. I was I was only I think I had four lines written down on my four step, and I went, Oh my God, this is all my fault. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, I got that had column where you know, what did you do to set the ball rolling? You know, what 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 did you you know, putting a, putting a, put out of your mind anything they did to you? What did you do? You know, if you were to put your name on their four step, what would they write? You know, I mean, somebody told me, I don't know if I did anything. Well, what would they write on their fourth step? If your name was on their fourth, what would they write under the, under the, what they did to you? I don't know. Yeah. That's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're not sure, do their fourth step for them. Right. Take your inventory. We're really taking their inventory when we do our fourth step. It's not until that column, that, that fourth and fifth column where we start to see the truth. You know, like, my God, if I don't assault her, I'm not arrested. You know, if I'm not drunk all the time, she's not asking for a divorce. I don't lose custody of my son if I can't, if I can stay sober, but I can't stay sober. I don't go to jail if I test clean, but I can't stay clean. You know, it was just obvious. And as the book says, we start to look at life from a different angle, a totally different angle. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm a volunteer. You know, I've volunteered for every mission. And I start to see them in a different light, you know, and, and like, like uh, Father Bob Hanlon used to, I don't even know where he's at, but he was the chaplain at Imperial Point Hospital. He used to do step series for us back in the, uh, in the uh, early 90s and mid 90s. And, and Dr. Bob used to say that, uh, Dr. Bob, <laughs> Father Bob used to say that, <laughs> that uh, you got Dr. Bob on my mind. Father Bob used to say that, that active alcoholics, can find the positive in the most negative, situ- I mean, the negative in the most positive situation, right? They can find the rabbit turd in the birthday cake. You know what I mean? They can find the flaw in the party, you know? Where recovered alcoholics will find the positive in the most negative situation. No matter how bad the circumstance, we can find the positive, you know? And isn't that what that fourth step does? Is it, it allows you to see something different. It allows you to learn from your mistakes and move forward into the light, you know? That, that I started to look at these people as possibly sick. I wonder what's going on in their life that makes them react like that. I wonder what's going on in their life that makes them attack me like that. You know, even, and I'm talking about areas where I didn't think I did anything. You know, people who just didn't pay me. Or people who were just miserable. You know, or people who just hated me. You know, wonder what's going on there. And here's what happens. wonder what I could do to help. See, we're on a whole different plane. You know, we're on a whole different plane at that point, moving us towards the ninth step. If you, in the fourth step, three times they refer to making amends. Three times. 
Bill mentions, the willingness to go and, and set matters straight. Right? That willingness is coming right there in that fourth step. We see our wrongs in the situation, and we're willing to set that matter straight. That, that process, that change, that light has to come in before not only do I have any credibility, but I'm even willing to face anybody that I've hurt down the road. And I'm going with a different spirit. We talked about it uh, two weeks ago, you know, uh, Frank Buckman's experience that he had in Cambria, England, listening to Jesse Penn Lewis, where she talks about forgive everybody everything. You know, that's the spirit of that step. Forgive everybody everything. Clean off your side of the street. Forgive them and clean off your side of the street because it's, it's, your solution lies in you being in the light. We need to drive out the darkness. And we'll see when we get to 10 and 11, it's about driving out the darkness constantly. You know, don't let the darkness come in. You know, constantly checking ourselves. You know. So I'm in enough light by the time I get there. And, and by the way, I'm not near the same person I was at step seven that I was when I walked in these rooms. Nowhere near that person. You know, I'm not the person I want to be. I'm still not the person I want to be. I'm nowhere near the person I want to be. But I am far from that asshole that walked in here. I am not that guy. You know, I, I, I have a program, you know, do I fall short? Yeah, I do. Thank God for steps 10 and 11. You know, thank God that I can make matters right. I don't fall short as much as I used to, probably not as much as I did last week, you know, because it's no longer a negative. It's a positive. Where did I fall short today? And what can I learn from this stuff? You know, how can I make it better? How can I not fall into that trap again? You know? We learn from our mistakes here. We don't look at them as a negative and dwell on them anymore and take us into the darkness. We learn from them. What's the positive in the negative, right? That's Father Bob. What's the positive in that negative? I've been trying to find that. Daniel and I were talking before the meeting because I've been dealing with a lot of pain in my hand, and I need my I'm, I work with my hands, you know, and I tore some ligaments in my right hand, and I am so right-handed. I, I can't even eat left-handed, <laughs> you know. And and it's I'm dealing with some some pain, you know. Yesterday morning, I was in some serious pain. First thing in the morning, and and when we're when we're out of sync in any of those areas, in any of those dimensions, right? If we're out of sync spiritually, mentally, or physically, it throws everything off, you know. It throws my attitude towards traffic off. It throws my attitude towards my wife off. It throws everything off when I'm not good spiritually. But it's starting to have me prioritize what's really important because I'm still, and I've been around a few decades, and I am still driven by the social and the material instincts. More so, I'm more worried about what people will think about me if I miss work or the loss of the money than I am about my health. And I've always been that way. You know, I've set this, I've, I've created this reputation where he doesn't miss work no matter what. That boy has to be in the hospital before he misses work. And that's true. I usually have a broken bone, not a torn ligament, you know, if I'm, if I'm in the hospital. But it's having me find the positive in the negative. Is, it's, it's making me prioritize what's really important in my life. You know, what's more important? Is it the money? Is it the reputation? Or is it my health? Yeah. So far, it's the money and the reputation. <laughs> I haven't considered taking any time off and taking care of my health yet. <laughs> but this pain may motivate me. <laughs> so we're different people. In 6 and 7, we're changing, and we're different people. We better show up differently. We better show up differently. If that same person shows up to try to make things right, it's not going to mean anything. 
I always liked it. I, I always liked when Bill talks about Ebby. There's something about his eyes. There was something in his eyes. That boy was on fire. Right? He was more than inwardly rearranged. His roots grafts new soil. He saw it just in a couple of hours. Well, he met him a couple of times, two or three times. But he, each time he saw him, it was even more evident that something had changed. That's what we want them to see when we show up to make these amends. And I would suggest forget the word I'm sorry. They've heard that shit millions of times. I'll just forget the, that phrase. I was wrong. Might be a good idea. How can I make it right? That might be a good idea. You know? But we talked a lot the last time I was here about the difference between the wrong and the harm. You know, What I did wrong is one thing. How it harmed them is another. And, and we get real clear on our eight-step list. We're not just listing people we have harmed, We're get, um, that we have hurt. We're getting clear on the harm. We're going to clear exactly how we harm them so that we can be specific when we go to them and tell them how, what harms we think we did and then give them the opportunity to vent you know, and let them go off. And there's some warnings in that step. At the beginning of the step, by the way, it says exactly how we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to do direct amends anytime we can. We're going to go face-to-face, one-on-one, any, any chance we get. And, and when are we going to make amends? Well, wherever possible. You know, when are we not going to make them? Well, when we're hurt somebody else. You know, and this book, I said, like I said the last time I was here, this book is clear. We're not somebody else. This book talks about being hard on ourselves, going to any length, be willing to do jail time, be willing to take a hit on our reputation, be willing to sacrifice financially to make that right. Why? Because there's sunlight involved. You know, how, how well do I want, how good do I want to feel? You know, how good do I want to feel? Do I want to walk around with a cloud hanging over me, or do I want to be free? How free do I want to be? It really becomes about that. What am I willing to do to stay in the light? What am I willing to do to feel freedom? And that, by the way, is a daily question for me. We go to them in a helpful and forgiving spirit. Forgive everybody everything. That was one of the best lines I've ever heard. And I'll tell you, I told that story about Frank Buckman. I love telling the story about Dr. Bob because Dr. Bob was the king of the 12-steppers. And let me tell you something. For those of you who have relapsed in this program, I'm, I'm, I was fortunate enough to be a one-white chipper. Uh, not that I didn't relapse a million times when I was out there, but just never in the program. Dr. Bob uh, relapsed. You know, so join the club. You're in, a, you're in great company. <laughs> you know? Dr. Bob struggled. Dr. Bob was a drug addict. You know, Dr. Bob was hooked on them goofballs, man. He was, he was taking sedatives to perform them surgeries and stuff and get through the day. He wasn't just drinking and, to kill those shakes. You know? so he, if, you, if you read his story, he talks about, I don't know if it's in this story here or in the history, but he talks about suffering from the obsession for two and a half years. So if you're struggling and still want to pick up, you're in good company. Dr. Bob was there. You know how he overcame it? Sponsored 5,000 freaking people in 15 years. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Do the math on that. Right? That's like taking somebody through the steps every day and taking Saturday and Sunday off. You know, that's, that's incredible. That's how he overcame it. You know? But there's a relapse in his story. We always talk about that meeting in the history on Mother's Day, 1935. It's not our anniversary, though, is it? June 10th, 1935 is our anniversary. We met on Mother's Day, but there was a convention in Atlantic City, a medical convention in Atlantic City that, that Bob went to every year. 
And this was no different. He wanted to go. And, and Ann Smith, Bob's wife, telling Bill, don't let him go. He gets drunk every time he goes. He's going to get drunk. And Bill says, hey, you're going to live life. You've got to live life around liquor. You know, you can't hide yourself from it. Well, Ann was right. He got, he got drunk before he got there, you know, and, and comes back from the convention and ends up at his nurse's office. His nurse calls over at the Smith home and says, Bob's here. He's drunk out of his mind. You better get him together. He's got surgery in a couple of days. You better coffee his ass up because he's, he's got to work and he's got to operate on somebody. And they, they coffee him up and get him sobered up and take him over to the hospital to do the surgery. He's shaking like a leaf. Uh, Bill gives him a couple, they have a couple bottles of beer that they carried with him for the new recruits and a couple of goofballs. And Bob goes up and does the surgery. We have no history on how that came out, by the way. They, Bob, was a, Bob was a proctologist, by the way, and I'm glad it wasn't my ass he was working on. But <laughs> there is, if I think if it went bad, we'd have some history, right? So it must have gone okay, you know. But he comes down, they go back to the Smith house, and Bob says, I got something I got to do, and he takes off and doesn't come home till almost midnight. And what he does is he goes one-on-one, face-to-face, direct amends, and makes as many amends as he can possibly make that night with the people that he had lived. He thought that whatever business he had left would be gone if he let these people know he had been on, operating under the influence. But he realized that his sobriety meant more to him than his reputation. Right? That his relationship with God, that being in the light, was more important than what people thought of him. And we know that was the sober date. Was He comes back, he never drinks again until 1950, until he dies. Now, we call it June 10th, 1935. We know now that Bill may have miscalculated the date. There's two theories, by the way, on that. There's a new book called, uh, uh, called The Writing of the Big Book. And, uh, and he writes in there that there's two theories as to why the date is wrong. Either Bill just got it wrong. Remember that our history was an oral history, and nobody thought we were going to be who we were. They were recalling things from memory when they were writing it down and, and writing the history and their stories. So you have different accounts of what took place. It's like when Brian and I met. I have a story about Brian approaching me on the railing, you know, after telling everybody off in the meeting. And Brian has another story about him approaching me and when he met me and he originally. And they're two different stories. And they're both true from our point of view, <laughs> Right? And, and that's what the history is the same way. You'll hear different guys give different accounts of the history. But, but the one theory is that Bill just miscalculated the date because the actual convention was on the 17th, was on June 17th. It wasn't on June 10th. The other theory is that Bob lied about the date of the convention so that he could have seven days of drinking. Right? <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense. That, that He left on the 10th for the, uh, for the convention, but didn't make it there till the 17th in the actual convention and drank the whole time. But uh, I thought that was interesting, which that makes a lot of sense. You know, a real alcoholic. (laughs) Getting a seven-day warm-up for the convention. But I think that stresses. When you're talking about the king of the 12-steppers, I think that stresses how important this step is. That if we don't address this step, we're still going to be suffering from that guilt and that remorse and that shame. We're still going to be hiding from people. You know, we're still going to be wondering if we're going to bump into somebody. We're still going to have that deep, that part of us, that soul that knows that it knows that it knows, you know. And the one thing about doing these step series and stuff, man, it makes you accountable. You know, it's hard to be a hypocrite up here. It creates a whole nother level of guilt. (laughs) You're coming up here and, you know, 
and you're not transparent. You know, you're not transparent. You're not living this thing and you're talking about it. It's, it it'll throw you for a loop. That's probably why I'm so transparent from this podium. Probably more transparent than I should be. You know, I think you know a lot more about me than I wish you did. <laughs> but uh, so Bill gives us three rules. We're going into this bottom of 77. It talks about rule number one. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. We're not we're going to not tell them what they did and we're not going to argue with them. Right. And we're going to make a plan before we go in there because we don't want to leave the amends process owing an amends. Right. We're not we're going to have an exit plan. We're going to have, you know, do you want me to call you at a certain time to give you the ability to leave? You know? And by the way, if you're going to functions, you're new in recovery, that's a good way to do it, too. If you're going to weddings and stuff where you might not be comfortable, have your sponsor call you. You know, have an exit plan if you need to get out of there. If you're going riding with somebody else, that's the exact same thing with the amends. Have an exit plan because, as it says, they might throw you out of the office, right? They might not want to hear from you. you know? And in that case, it's, is there anything I can do to make it right? No, get that out of here, and you're gone. You did your part. You may have another opportunity down the road. Somewhere down the road, they might be watching your feet and see that you truly are transformed. You truly have had a spiritual experience or an awakening of some sort, a personality change, and maybe they'll want to see you then. But at that moment, maybe they're still just pissed off. You know? Rule number two, you never try to tell them what they should do or should have done. You know? And rule number three, their faults are not discussed. You know, three quick rules when you're going into an amends process about me, not about you, right? about me staying sober, not necessarily whether you make the, take you accept my amends or not. It doesn't matter. I made I did my part. I tried. Right? Later, they're going to warn us about being servile or scraping, you know, argumentative or begging them to accept our, or take our you know, to forgive us. We don't go there. You know? We stand on our own feet. The first, uh, they're going to talk about a bunch of different amends in here, the, the uh, financial equal proportion, uh, criminal relationships, uh, family, stuff that you can't do, indirect amends. So I'm going to touch on some of the ones that, uh, that stood out, like the IRS, right? The IRS, the one that was consuming me. Like, am I going to have to call them? No, I didn't. They called me. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what did it. You know, I got sober in February. I filed my first tax return that I ever remember in March. And, uh, and they audited me uh, six months later. You know, I was about nine months sober when they, uh, when they audited me. And, uh, you know, it was one of those deals where, thank you. You know, somebody else is running the show. You know, somebody else is running the show. I'm on different footing now. I'm, I am willing now. To make this amends. I wasn't when I got here. There was, I, couldn't, I, would, I would tell you I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And, and I probably couldn't afford it then either. But I needed to address it. Bill talks about making the best deal you can. You know, make the, I love Bill Wilson. I'm glad he wrote this. You know? Make the best deal you can. You know? And I, took an, I didn't go there. It tells us later when we're dealing with criminal stuff, you don't go alone. Take an attorney with you. Take legal counsel with you. you know? And I took Legal counsel with me. I took an accountant with me. And I don't, I'm, I just wasn't, I don't think I was capable of being honest then. You know, I, I think I would have lied to them. I introduced myself and told them I was in recovery. I don't remember any of those tax returns. I remember that one. But I don't remember any of those other tax returns I signed. This is Mr. C. He will be dealing this from here on in. Now I got to go. <laughs> yeah. 
And I left. You know, I left. Never had a chance to lie to them. Never had a chance to answer a question. I don't have to answer any question. Just not putting myself in that position. I still don't do my own taxes, by the way. I, I struggle. I, I mean, I wish I could tell you I don't. You know? I still don't have enough faith to just do the right thing and everything will be fine. <laughs> you know, I still sit there and look at a dinner expense and go, was that, did we talk business in that thing? Or, I mean, nobody would know if we didn't talk business, you know what I mean? Like, I could write it off, you know? I mean, I, I got this spiritual warfare that goes on, so I don't do them. I let the accountant do it. You know, here's my, I print out my QuickBooks and I quicken and I give it to them and I let them figure it out and they tell me how much I owe or how much I'm getting back, you know, and I don't have to deal with any of it, you know, I don't have to worry about it. And that was the same deal here. They went back that year, that one year before that year, and they found $800 that I didn't pay them, uh, plus penalties. And they said, uh, stay the course. You know, keep doing what you're doing. And they let the rest of it go. You know, so all that worry, you know. And I was able to make a payment arrangement with them, you know, and pay them so much a month till it was paid off. You know, God's in charge. I'm not in charge anymore. I've had an awakening up to that point. You know, I'm, I'm at that point, I'm operating on faith. At the beginning, I was operating on just a willing to believe you guys. I was operating on your testimony from the podium. Did it worked out for you? Maybe it'll work out for me. After my experience in step five, I had the proof of God. I was dealing with proof. I was dealing with God living in my heart. I was dealing with a feeling that God had my back and that everything would work out. Maybe not in that moment. But I, got to, I had to get past the fact it wasn't falling apart. It was falling into place. You know, I, had to, I had to have that mindset. You know? I owed $50,000 in credit card debt when I hit these rooms. You know? And that was twice that I did that. When you're snorting your paychecks <clears throat> and paying your mortgage with your credit card, you rack up debt quick. You know, it just, I, was, I was spending $300 a day to go to work and make 80 <laughs> You know, that math doesn't work. You know, I, was, I went into deep debt. You know, I called every one of them and made a deal. You know, didn't want that over. I didn't want that hanging over me. Now, would I, I, would, I would have never even, I, I couldn't perceive that I would be able to do something like that when I walked into these rooms. You know? If you're sitting here saying, I'm not doing that, you're, that's where I was. I'm not doing that. I couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine that I would be willing, that I would want to call them. That I would want the freedom that comes with calling them. Now, it takes some willpower to do that. Called them all, made deals with all of them. Some of them, they closed them, and I made payment arrangements. Some of them, we shifted to no interest credit cards. Six months, get another one, six months, get another one, six months. It took me ten years. Ten years, and I was debt-free. Ten years sober. Never done it again. I've never racked up credit card debt again. I pay my credit cards off. I can't afford it. I don't buy it. What a concept. What a concept. What a concept to not spend more than you make. Imagine, that's how you stay out of debt, by the way. You don't spend more than you make, which is not the American way. (laughs) American way is to have credit card debt. That's some freedom not having that. That is some freedom. Yeah. I had some, uh, I left the Derby Lounge uh, one night and sideswiped a whole city block. I mean, like 20 cars. 
Like I've used the feeler method to get home, you know, boom, 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 park, you know. And I got up the next morning and I looked down the street, there's just shit laying, there's mirrors and stuff laying all over the streets. And I'm out there with some Bondo, you know, fixing my dents in my car and stuff, plastering them up. And how do you make amends for that? You know, I've had opportunities. I've had three opportunities in the last couple of years to make amends for that. Three different people have hit me and I said, that's okay. I got it. I got it. And a guy just two weeks ago cut into my lane, hit the front of my truck. And here's, the, here's where the warfare started. My bumper was dented already. I'm thinking, I could get a new bumper. <laughs> this would be great. This is odd. This, what timing, right? And, and the guy had the look in his eye that I had in my eye when I was driving with no license. Do you know what I mean? He was like, Dude, what were you doing in that lane? I go, driving. <laughs> you know? Like I was in my lane. You, you, I mean, you could, we could take a picture of where your car is and where mine is right now if you want. You know? uh, no. He said, well, it didn't do much damage to yours. I go, no, not really. And I thought about those side swipes, and I said, I said, it's okay. And he, and, and he doesn't believe me at first, right? He starts to walk towards his car, and he turns around, and he looks at me, and, and this is what I would have said, we're good? And I said, yeah, we're good. You know, and he got in his car and drove away. You know, I figured, well, there's one car. You know. a guy back in, I had a guy back into me at church uh, last year. It's all good, man. Don't worry about it. Move on. I'll get it. You know, just ways that we can get right with the universe. I'm not getting right with those people directly, but I want to get right with God. I want to get right with the universe. You know, and if one of those people come up to me someday and say, I hit their car, I'll, I'll pay them. You know, that's just the way it works. You know, I, I'll, I will have, God will put opportunities in front of me to make things right. There's a uh, police officer, his name's Nick from Wilkinsburg, PA. And I hope to God someday Nick hears one of these talks and contacts me because I, I owe him such an amends. Uh, we decided one night, you know, we were the corner guys. Uh, we were the entrepreneurs on the corner, you know, and, and Nick was a police officer who used to hassle us entrepreneurs all the time, you know. He would pick us up and search us and chase us and all this stuff. So we decided one night, your group conscience got together, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> On a bottle of tequila and some other substances. And uh, we decided to break his windows out of his new Monte Carlo and paint his car. And, uh, and we high-fived and hugged each other and told each other we loved each other before we went and did it. And, and we got busted. Uh, we had to turn ourselves in. And uh, there were people who were at the party who informed on us, you know. And... Uh, and all Nick wanted was financial restitution. That's all he wanted. But more importantly, what he wanted to tell us is how we had harmed him, and not him, his wife. And it never even hit me until I was in this program. I didn't pay him. I didn't pay him. He used to run into me all the time. I'd take my money out and hand it to somebody. He'd search me. I'd have no money on me. You know, it was like $600 a piece that we had to pay to make restitution. And, and dropped out. He wasn't going to press charges. He just wanted to see us face to face. And tell us how we had harmed him. And I didn't even hear it. We were drunk when we turned ourselves in. You know, I didn't even hear what he said. Until I was working on this ninth step. And then I heard what he said. He said, my wife's afraid to leave the house. 
She's afraid to get in her car. I have to go out and start the car in the morning. That was the harm. What we did wrong was we painted his car and broke the windows up, but that had nothing to do with what we did to them. We put the fear of God in his wife and children. That's sad. How do you make amends for that? How do you make amends for that? Now, I tried to get a hold of Nick. It's a funny story because I don't even know where it came from. I, you know, I, I don't even know how that served. He was not on my immense list. Nick was not on my immense list. And I'm doing a step series at a halfway house up in Pompano, and I'm on this step, and it surfaced like a lot of stuff does, like, like stuff that, that should have been on our fourth step or should have been on our fifth step that surfaces six months later, a year later, two years later, when we're ready to see it, when we're ready to see it. Some of it we're just not ready to see early in recovery. You know, I've had stuff five, ten years later surface. You know, harms, not necessarily wrong, but harms. Yeah. And I uh, tried to find them. And if you're looking for a police officer, they call it stalking. <laughs> they, they will not tell you where he is. <laughs> I, mean, I called Pittsburgh and trying to find him. And I eventually said, you know what? I'm just going to start making donations to some charity in Nick's name. And, and, I, and I started making donations to the Pittsburgh uh, Homeless Children's Fund. In, in Nick's name, my name nowhere to be seen, just a credit card, you know. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pay so much a month. It started out twenty bucks a month, you know, uh, until the six hundred dollars is paid off. And I and and as I really thought about the harm versus the wrong, I thought I'm gonna send a check every month to these people for the rest of my life in Nick's name, because I could never repay that. I could never fix that emotional harm that I did to his wife and kids and him probably you know and I'm hoping someday out of nowhere he looks at that and sees his name somewhere and says you know what I got to contact this guy because I would really really like to make a direct amends to him you know for whatever it would mean to him but it would mean a lot to me to to just show up different you know just show up a different than some young undisciplined little brat that I was back then you know this punk you know that knew everything but it's been stuff like that. I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like I did the best I could as far as making that amends, an indirect amends. You know? I mean, you're not going to go, like, if you've been shoplifting. And, by the way, that needs to be on your, your list, like shoplifting. Just, just saying, you know. Publix, CVS, Walgreens, you know, that shoplifting stuff. I tell my guys, put it on there and put a number on it. You know, I don't care if you guess, but put a number on it. Guess high. Because yeah. I doubt you're going to be able to go into Publix and hand them money, you know. But you could find out what charity the Publix is involved in and start making donations to that charity until you meet the number that you listed that you stole from them. You know, getting right with the universe, getting right here, getting right with the soul, getting out of the darkness. You know, more light. The more light, the better. I was. Uh, we're, I, I'm not going to go into my criminal record because it's. 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 You know, by the way, that's not a prerequisite to being in recovery. You don't have to be arrested to be here. You know, it just seems to happen a lot. <laughs> Most of mine were misdemeanors. Most of mine back in the day. I mean, they didn't know what to do with us hippies back then. You know, we're talking 70s. And it was just madness. You know, I mean, I think pot was a felony back then. And, and, and they never pressed charges. You know what I mean? Like they just... They would arrest you and put you in jail and hope you learned your lesson and let you out. You know, I, I saw every freaking jail cell in Allegheny County in Pittsburgh. And, but I finally did hit uh, a felony charge. 
and ended up in the Allegheny County Jail in downtown Pittsburgh. I think I shared that with you guys when I was in the, because uh, I always share it in a second step talk, you know, where we're willing to do anything at certain moments. You know what I mean? Like that moment, I was in jail in downtown Pittsburgh in the population for the first time ever with felons, and I was in my John Travolta outfit, you know. <laughs> I had my bell-bottom pants and my platform shoes and my paisley shirt with my hair down. You know, and I look like a date, you know. I'm like, a, I'm like 125 pounds, you know, soaking wet, you know. And I'm, I have never been so scared in my life. And it's really a second-step story, you know. And, and uh, because I, I was in tears at the arraignment the next morning, like, you got to, Your Honor, you got to let me out of here. I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. Did you ever say that? I don't belong here, you know. And uh, I said, I'll do anything. I swore on my mother. I swear on my mother, I'll, I'll never touch another drop. You know? You'll never see me here again. No, no more drugs, I'm done. It was a mescaline charge at the time. Yeah. I was set up, by the way. And uh, it's not what the records show, but that was my story. And, uh, and he let me go. He let me go. He ROR'd me. No bond. You know, first offense, first felony offense. You know, I was drunk before I got home. That's a second step story right there. The fact is, I can't bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the pain and suffering of this morning. Forget I'm weak or a month ago. Of this morning. I'm without defense against the first drink. Right? I mean, I left jail promising I was done. And you guys know how that works. The committee gathers on the way home. He says, you know, you don't have a car now. It's in, it, your car is an impound, you know, and you don't have enough money to get your car out. You know, you need an attorney now. You've got a court date. Right? And the wheels are turning, and that restlessness and that irritability and that discontent sets in again, that anxiety, that torment sets in again. And the next thought is, I'm just going to take the edge off. I just need to take the edge off. And you guys know that thought, right? And then, boom. Off and race again. Yeah. But I go to the hearing and uh, and my uncle bails me out. My my uncle raised me. My dad took off when I was about five or six years old. And my mother's brother uh, pretty much raised me as a kid and then I went off on a tangent and you know, I went I found acceptance with the drinkers and drug addicts. You know, I mean that's where I found my deal, that's where I found my my niche. You know, I found my comfort zone with those people. And you become who you hang out with. That's just the way that deal works. Same here, by the way. You'll become who you hang out with here. If you, don't, if you hang out with the don't drink and go to Denny's crowd, that's who you're going to be. You're going to be white knuckling and not drinking and going to Denny's. You hang out with these guys, you hang out with these book guys and these step series guys, you'll find recovery. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll be the recovered guys, you know, loving the big book and, showing, and, and loving AA, loving recovery and enjoying life. My, uh, my uncle got this high-powered attorney and got the charges dropped. My, the kid that was with me, Joey, uh, did two and a half years uh, in Pennsylvania with the same charges. You know? And I felt like, you know, we thank you, God. You know? So I tell you that story to tell you this, that uh, about uh, 12, 13, 12 years ago, I decided that I want to get a weapon. Right? And I go to... Uh, get my concealed weapons permit first. 
and I go to, I don't know why we go to the Department of Agriculture in Florida, that's kind of weird, but <laughs> we go to the Department of Agriculture to get authorized to carry a concealed weapon. I don't get it, but okay. You know. So they do the Florida background check, and I pass the test, and I get my CWP. Right? So now I go to buy a gun. Right? I go through all the classes and stuff, by the way, for that stuff, to get the concealed weapons. And I go to buy the gun, and they run a national. Right? And it comes back that I am a convicted felon, and I still have an open case, uh, open felony of trafficking in Pennsylvania that shows no disposition or no degree, right? I'm, I'm asking, what the hell does that mean, you know? It's still an open case. Not only that, I, am, I have extortion charges from a prostitution ring that I was involved in, right? And I say this just to tell you, this is my role model. My dad got arrested for using a prostitute to extort some husband and used my social security number. <laughs> so now I have extortion charges and, and prostitution charges on my, on my charge and this felony. So needless to say, I got to get an attorney. And he gets the other stuff just dropped, you know, the, my dad's stuff. It just goes away. But it took some time. And money, and I had to go back, and they had to dig through the archives in Pennsylvania. Thank God they weren't on computer back then, because they probably could have pulled it up. But but they were on, I think, microfish or some stuff. They were looking through. You know, it was probably all faded and rotted by then. And you know, and and they had they closed the case. They they you know what they call it uh, expunged my record. And, but it cost me you know a few thousand dollars. So you know, twenty some years later. I'm making restitution for getting let off of something I was guilty of, right? Just the way God works, just the way God works. I felt kind of good about the whole deal in a a way, except that I had to spend a couple thousand dollars for an attorney uh, who was in recovery, by the way, which worked out well. But but those are the easy ones, aren't they? The, uh, the The money and the criminal stuff, it's stuff that we had to do anyway. You know, those are, to me, the easy ones. The hard ones are the family stuff. The hard ones was my mother, you know, and, and how do I make amends to my mother for sleepless nights and stealing money? I mean, the, the money she didn't want, right? Our parents, they don't want the money back. They just want their child back, you know? No, no, hang on to the money. Just, just don't drink. Whatever you do, don't drink. Don't, you know, don't drug, you know? Just please, you know? And that's all they wanted. They just want us to, they're, they're, as, they're as happy as their saddest child. That's, that's really the case when it comes to parents. You know, we were four of us and my mother was as happy or as unhappy as her as sad as, as her un, most unhappiest child. And there was three out of the four of us that were alcoholics and addicts, you know, and we lost my baby sister to an overdose. You know, so my mother was just always in turmoil over us. You know, how do you pay that back? You know, and, it, and it's it's really about showing up different for me. I mean, all I could do was be there financially. I've been fortunate enough uh, through recovery uh, not to make tons of money, but to be financially secure and and be able to help them out when they were in need financially. You know, and so so that made me feel good. Not that they even cared you know, about that, but what they care about is me being there as a son. You know, when they needed when when she was sick. And I'm by her bedside, you know. I think I shared with you guys 
because you know, like I said, you, you know what we did wrong and the harm. I had no idea that my mother, for years, was so upset that I don't get along with my sister. Right? On her deathbed, I mean, she nearly died twice. She's a two-time cancer survivor, and and she on her deathbed, where I feel like I owe no amends to her. Everything's clean. Where she had last rights. She whispers to me, why can't you get along with your sister? Are you kidding me? Amazing. Yeah. I had no idea that me not getting along with my sister would harm my mother. That's incredible. I made a mention of my, mother, my sister that night. We're good, right? I mean, let's, let's just do this thing, you know, and, and just made it right for her because it's the right thing to do, you know? I don't feel like I owe my mo- my mother any more amends. You know, I've, I've been sober now a few decades. My mother loves the fact that I'm in recovery. I have a sister who's two years less sober than me. You know, and and she works the program. You know, my brother. I don't know what happened to him. It just skipped his ass. You know, it's just I don't even know if he's one of us. <laughs> I always laugh. He's that guy that just like he's allergic to bananas. He just doesn't eat them. You know what I mean? He doesn't try to eat them with somebody else or eat them, eat them in another state or, you know, not eat dole, eat chiquita or something. You know, he's like, that's what we do, right? It's the people. It's the place. It's the brand. You know, we just keep changing. He just doesn't eat the damn things, you know. But he's that guy that can just have a couple of beers and that's it. He's done, you know. He just, and same childhood. It just goes to show you, right, that, that what we went through as a child doesn't affect everybody the same way, right? He grew up in the same craziness, the same violence that I did, you know, same insanity that I did. And when he thinks about it, he has two beers. It feels better, and that's all he needs, you know. I think about it, I have two, three, four, eight ball, you know. (laughs) Off to the races, man. (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) I want to close this with... uh, we have time? Yeah, that, well, that's a little fast, I think. My son was 12 when I got sober. My, my youngest son, uh, who, who I have a whole different connection with, uh, was two. He never remembers me with a, a drink in my hand. And uh, my oldest one has seen my fist come through his door because he was afraid of his father and locked himself in his own room. I put my fist through his door and unlocked the door on the inside. It just sickens me when I look back at that stuff, you know, that somebody, that a child would have to live in that home. And and I became my father. You know, I became my, I became everything I hated in him. You know, you find the people you resent, you become just like them. You know, it's a weird thing. It's a weird, weird, weird thing. How do you make amends for that? I'm sorry. You know, I was wrong. And I made, I was about a little over a year sober and I sat down with him and, and did the best I could at a year sober at making amends. You know, that I was wrong. You know, uh, I apologize. Uh, should have never had to live like that. I mean, I had, he had to move out of his room and into an apartment because of the divorce. You know, he was pissed. He was resentful. And I thought I would get, oh, don't worry about it, Dad. You bought me a car, and you're paying for call. You know, everything's good. You know, and he said, yeah, that sucked. He said, that absolutely sucked. I hated 
that I had to move out of our house. I hated it. I did the best I could at the time. Uh, it, it isn't my job for him to accept the amends or not. Daniel remembers I was down at uh, Palm Bay doing a step series, and I get this text from my son. Now, mind you, this is 27 years freaking later, right? One of my favorite lines in the book, there's a long road of reconstruction ahead. It takes a long time to get credibility back. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. I didn't think it would take 27 freaking years, right? But it takes a long time. He writes me this. Dad, I want to thank you for all the skills you've taught me and the ethics you've driven into me about working hard and doing what's right. I know there are plenty of speed bumps along the way, but I want you to know how much I appreciate you taking the time to let me learn and provide me with the foundation for being successful. I don't know if I've ever really said thank you, and I just hope I can continue to be that person for my kids. I love you and look forward to seeing you the next time we get together. I wrote back, thank you so much. I'm so proud of the man you've become. I couldn't be prouder. Yes, there were bumps along the way, and I truly regret that. But you and Joe have always been and will always be the most important people in my life. Thanks for being you. I always look forward to seeing you guys. Can't wait to see you again. He writes back to me this. Don't regret anything. It was all part of the journey. Have a good night. Uh, Incredible. Incredible. 27 years later, he reflected on me getting sober, making amends to him, and said, you know what? He's the real deal. He's the real deal. Thanks for letting me be here tonight. Appreciate it. Now I'd like to invite up our secretary, which it looks like it's going to be Mr. Chris. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, uh, the baskets are now going around. And as these baskets are going around, I have asked a friend, Tanisha, to come up here and read the recovered notice. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. Tanisha. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict of some al- to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholic centers in, our, in his mind rather than in his body, page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. 1940-style big book sponsorship from Ford to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous of Alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. 
What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Could I have a show of hands, please, of recovered alcoholics? Is anyone in need of a sponsor? Please raise your hand. Okay. Um, This is not the last meeting of the month. Um, Please join us Monday nights. Big book study meeting where the big book comes live. Fellowship is at 6.30. The big book study starts at 7.15. We have over here arranged on this piano... CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15 p.m. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you and see you next week. So we have tonight's session and all other uh, speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Once again, we'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And for those who wish to thank Pat, please line up in the center aisle. Uh, Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Woke us up this morning. Father, Lord in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You all Monday and always tell the church
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?